0: We are here at the British Motor Show 2022 in Farnborough. We are UK Motor Talk and we are wandering around and having a see what's about. So first up, Caterham and it smells delicious. It does. It's uh, the perfect example, I think, of Caterham doing exactly
1: what Caterham is designed to do. And that's put a smile on somebody's face. Whether uh, whether you're watching it, everybody seems to be enjoying it. And the uh, the passengers being slung around on the, uh, the drift taxi, as they call it, just pretty much doughnutting around and skidding about a bit. There's there's a mixture of uh, terror and joy I can see on their faces, but mainly joy, I think, once the
0: other uh, terror dies down. Yeah, well, we're planning to come back a little bit later and, and have a go ourselves. Uh, so I'll be able to send you some footage of that so you can have a look and see. It, it does look like absolutely incredible fun. The guys here must just be absolutely loving it. What if they get to the point of just extreme arm make, like when you go-karting? Uh, I would imagine so. was so probably a certain amount of dizziness as well I would say
1: because it's uh, there's a lot of going around in circles and uh, yeah maybe uh, maybe a bit of a sickness towards the end of the day but again the people driving seem to have a fairly big smile on their face so
0: yeah I mean, there's a whole lot going on here I mean looking around you can see uh, Ford representing with a few vehicles we've got young drivers uh, driving around in uh, Vauxhall courses sorry um, just trying to get people into, into, into the into cars, into the industry. Uh, and other than that, Cinch being a, a huge headline sponsor here. have got big stands full of supercars and such. Um, but there's, there's so much. Owners clubs, new cars, electric cars, retro-converted EVs, all kinds of stuff. So we're going to have a wander around, see what's about, and uh, yep, see what we can find. I've been interested by something almost entirely out of place, I reckon, here on the Cinch stand.
1: It's well. It's quite easy to miss, actually, buried in amongst lots of uh, of normal-sized cars. We have a Mini, and it's uh, it's an original Mini, but it's been beautifully restored and kept up to, hasn't it? It is immaculate. Yeah.
0: So this is a, um, a rally spec Mark One Morris Mini Cooper, and it is is lovely. It's got tiny uh, tiny little Mini lights on it. The type you of, sort of I'm not sure if they're ten inches, but they certainly look like they should be. Um, I'm gonna have a look. I'm gonna have a look. Bear with me whilst I just have a quick stare. Da da, da 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 Yes they are, TENS. Yeah, so nice, t- TENS with, with chunky tyres on. And it's got the light pod on the front, it's got, as you'd expect from a Mark, uh, Mark 1 Mini slidey windows, external door hinges, the little teardrop tail, uh, tail lamps. But this thing is, is very cool, so it's got the, um, it's, all, it's got a cage inside, it's all stripped out, and it's just, oh this is pretty much my idea of perfection really. So uh, this thing, it was, uh, it, it's an early one, so 63, so it's obviously starting 59. It um, has to
1: be said though, it looks in, uh, in very good nick for 19 years older than me. Let's put it that way, in uh, in 19 years I don't think I'll be wearing as well as this, but uh, a, a bit cheaper than me as well actually, it was uh, £75 it cost when it was bought by the current owner, so that's that's a bit of a bargain isn't it? I know car prices have shot up recently but I'll be willing to bet this has shot up a bit from
0: 75 quid hasn't it? I mean, arguably I'll tell you this is a better nick than you, uh, truth be told, but uh,
1: yeah I think that's probably right, I, I haven't had a body off restoration though, so it's uh, it's to be excused
0: Yeah. So this is uh... yeah rallied first in 1981, um, winner of the British Historic Rally Championship in 2017, and a number of other uh, events as well, which is competed in, but just a lovely looking thing, just the ever so slightly larger um, uh, fiberglass arches on the side, they're all GRP arches. Um, it's got the, the proper whiskered grille at the front, just a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I'll take some pictures of this, and you'll be able to see that on, uh, on our social. so head over to Instagram and, and a like, uh, and you'll be able to see that there. But yeah, what an absolute beauty. I'm Tony Hayes. I'm the
2: CEO of uh,
3: Indie EV. Now you have just whipped away the cloth from the top of a van.
2: Tell me about it. Why is it different? Ah, uh, because it's British. Uh, it's made local. The Union Flag on the front's a clue, then. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we've concentrated heavily on the aerodynamics, as you can see. Indy is short for indefatigable. Indefatigable, never tiring. Okay, so so that's where we've gone down that road. We've got the digital ant for the hard working, and that's what the team's been doing. Uh, so our material is, a, is a, uh, a plastic form compass and we even use a plastic glue to glue it together So it makes it 100% recyclable. We haven't got to try and extract the plastic before you can recycle it Just chuck it in and away you go. So that's a And massively strong really 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 strong So we thought when we were doing the van we thought about the driver Of okay, people spend a lot of time in their vans. They use it for all sorts of things. So in the van itself We've gone for a nice, nice comfy seat, nice decent driving position so whether you're six foot four or four foot nothing, <laughs> you should be out of fit there. This was a smaller version, one ton payload, a 30 kilowatt battery pack and we'll give you around about 120-odd, 120 125 miles. But we can go with a bigger van that we're bringing out which is a one and a half ton, we could get 90 kilowatts in there and you'll probably do about 290 miles and a 15 minute recharge, that's the key. 15 minute recharge yeah, yeah. and there we go that's the van in a nutshell yeah, yeah. sort of zero to where we are in about 16 months
3: one of my questions was really going to be why on earth would anyone want to try and design a van where did that come from
2: good question because we imported vans you know uh, you still do, we you still course. do we still do yes but we we find we have to do so much to them to make them decent and workable and that's the thing hard wearing is the other one and so we thought and then someone said why don't you make your own one and i thought you know what why don't we make our own one so from the things that you
3: are importing raw as it were you yep. are seeing where improvements could always be made
2: oh always yeah if you see this one here it's got one of our dashboards in it so we ripped out the the molded dash and put a proper dashboard in you know so that we do things like that all the time and this is where we'll go so eventually that we'll we'll take these forward and and we won't be imported in a few years
3: so presumably the costs of starting from scratch on designing a motor vehicle of any shape or form are not negligible?
2: No, we, we were really, <laughs> that really, yeah, <laughs> that's an understatement. We were fortunate in the beginning uh, when we first went out and tried to, to raise some funds. We, uh, we spoke to some Norwegian friends and within two days they came up with some money for us and said we're in, we like it. And of course, Norway are way ahead of us on the EV market. And that's where we are, yeah. And they love it, they think it's great. So it was their first seeing of the vehicle today. Oh, brilliant.
3: Yeah, so so. so we've, we've impressed the investors, that's always a good start, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So from a buying perspective, if I was wanting one of these, A, how much, and B, when can I have one?
2: Oh, well, you could have one hopefully by sort of uh, just before summer next year. Right. Um, providing we get the, we, we've obviously got to do the full certification testing, but once that's done, then we'll be there. Buying price-wise, that's really difficult at the moment, because <laughs> everything is, I mean, the parts have gone up by about 50% since we first started. here. You know, it's ridiculous at the moment. But we're aiming somewhere between, you know, between 28 and 34 is where we want to be for this type of van, which is not too bad i
3: say that sounds quite cheap in van yeah. terms these days, doesn't
2: it? Well, we've kept it simple. We've kept it simple. They keep it simple really? and it's effective. Simple and effective, you know, that's what we've got. And uh, investing in British? Very much so. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hence, as you can see <laughs> on the front, yeah, British built, British designed for British jobs micro factory setup, so we could we if we wanted to we could take what we're doing in in East Sussex and put another one up north or in Wales or anywhere and it's the same setup so we're using that little micro setup way we're going so
3: manufacturing wise it's not a question of building a great big factory then absolutely not no we don't need to we'll put people on the shop floor and do it that way one of the things being talked about in the introductions earlier was things like apprenticeships and training and yep. things like that yep. When it comes to completely new vehicles like this, is it skills that are out there or do people need to be trained in construction and in servicing for that matter?
2: Uh, Hence the University of Brighton. We're aiming to set up a proper academy so they'll run courses properly. We then take that and we can use those modules and then you can do online stuff and all the rest of it, all about things. So we're not just, you're right, we haven't just thought about building a van and chuck it out there. We thought about how do we train people to get to there? You know, and so that's what we've done. And as you can see by the models that they produced as well. So it's not, for the things for the university, it's not just the graphic side, you know, it's all the engineering side, battery technology, massively important and advancing. So, you know, we're working very well with them at the moment to, to enhance all that side.
4: Hi, my name is Jennifer Wells and I'm from the University of Brighton, exhibiting alongside JLC Group at the launch of their new indie EV vehicle that we've been part of uh, supporting them in designing. One of JLC's key supporters is actually an alumni of the University of Brighton, which absolutely <laughs> helped, so um, was very kind to sort of make the introduction. At JLC we're very keen to work with a local university, very keen to work with our advanced engineering center, more importantly our engineering students and soon to be graduates. And the partnership really just flourished and and, and developed very much from there. So working hand in hand with the business and, and with our students and our academics. They came to us and said we are developing and designing this really new exciting vehicle. We would very much like to partner with the university because we need talent. We need to build a talent pipeline of future engineers to come and support the business as it continues to grow. And while they're designing the vehicle, what expertise, what lab space, what um, equipment, what kits did we have that they could access to support them in in the development of the vehicle? And we literally sat around a table and had a big conversation and said, what can we do? How can we work together?
3: Presumably, universities can be fairly well equipped with all the modern toys these days. Yeah,
4: absolutely. So the university, we're very, very fortunate to have an internationally renowned advanced engineering centre, uh, funding the, funny enough, partly um, as a result of a 30-year collaboration with Ricardo, the F1 engine designers. So we've got a very good track record in that respect. are very fortunate to have that kind of facility locally. A bit of a well-kept secret. Um, and now we have actually have a, a JLC Group lab. They've donated some of their electric vehicles for our students to actively work on. So yeah, really, really fruitful partnership. So I'm standing in
3: front of a table now with various different shapes and forms. Are these things that the students have sort of come up with as ideas for using a, a basic platform? Is that is that where it comes from?
4: Yes, absolutely. So the um, the kind of ingenuity, if you like, of the Indy EV, the, the the new vehicle we've the, that we've just launched, is its modularity so what they did is they came to us and I said look I have an idea I'd very much like to put some students together from different disciplines so we had an engineering student a product design student and a student from interior architecture of all things <laughs> to come together and say this is the idea JLC gave us a brief a design brief and let our students literally as a design team went away and came up with fantastic ideas of how could they build models how could they demonstrate the flexibility and the modularity of this new vehicle so we went, they went away and they did a load of um, fantastic drawings, worked very closely with Indy, um, EV and, and JLC Group's design team. 3D printed a load of the different models that you can see here as physical demonstrations of actually the flexibility in this new van.
3: And, and, and my head goes back to Land Rovers and, and how really the modular idea might be nothing new, but it has sort of perhaps gone out of favor over the years.
4: Indeed, and it's also for me, it's very much thinking about the adaptability, right? We're thinking about sustainability, we're thinking about our contribution to the planet, not just, obviously this is an electric vehicle, but also if you think about it, you can have the solid chassis and you can actually use it for your commercial purposes, if you're a business, you're self-employed, whatever it might be that you do, but then you can also have a modular component that you can buy and actually add on, you can use it for private and personal use as well. So it's very, very flexible. So it's one vehicle, multi-purpose
3: which makes an awful lot of sense, doesn't it, really? We think so. Yeah, (laughs) and and, and if it's something that is easy enough to do in half an hour or whatever to change something over, why not?
4: Yeah, absolutely, that's the idea, that this is something that easily could be done by by a customer. We've got a a model here, which is essentially, if you like, creating its own kind of battery units. Those are individual charging batteries. So the vehicle can actually support charging of of batteries for other vehicles and other uh, uh, electrically-run components around, say, a massive site, for example. We've done the camper van, which is probably one of my personal favourites. Everyone loves the camper van. Uh, so again, that, that that's a component that slips on the back. There's an elevating bit at the top, although the design presumably is, is probably something that's not entirely new. But if you think about the way it's been fixed, but also you have to think about the aerodynamic components, the models they've developed. So it reduces the drag and the drain on the electric battery. So everything is actually about looking at the lifetime of the battery. So as well as being aesthetically pleasing, being useful, being comfortable, for whoever's going to end up using the van, but it's always has, it always has to have the battery component at its heart as well.
0: Well, from minis to mokes, you can't poke at a moke. We've, we've found this out. Um, but here we are, stood in front of the electric mokes. Um, I'm, I'm actually going to give these uh, a bit of time as we were uh, derided
1: by the moke owners club for uh, being slightly dismissive. So I'm, uh, I'm going to have a little poke
0: around and, and have a look at them with an open mind, let's say. Okay, stats, in the meantime, 120 kilometers, just because why not do it in miles per hour? Charge time, only four hours. Top speed, 50 miles an hour, possibly enough. But acceleration, 0-50 miles an hour, is only four and a half seconds. So that's pretty quick. Um, Size-wise, well, it's the same as a normal Moke. This one in front of me here is covered in Union Jacks. It's got uh, projector headlamps fitted. And it's it's a, a pretty cool bit of kit. You can have them in left-hand drive, right-hand drive, uh, and they're all rear-wheel drive, so I'd imagine that means you could do some uh, some funky little drifts them if you fancied. They've also got a military-inspired one, which is pretty cool. Uh, I'm Still, I'm not sure whether, again, they're be any good for military application, but Jim, rear-wheel drive, thoughts? Uh, I'd quite like to have a go on in one, actually, knowing
1: that it's rear-wheel drive. That might actually be a hoot to drive, but I think it's they're, they're certainly one of those vehicles that are, uh, Know, lifestyle's the wrong word so we apply lifestyle to uh, SUVs and boring things like that don't we but it's a, it's a lifestyle vehicle in the proper sense of the word lifestyle isn't it but actually buzzing down to the beach in one spending the day at the beach with your mates having a laugh mucking about coming back again actually yeah I kind of get it whether the British climate is quite so uh, geared up for them I'm not too sure. So do you start a- saying things like this again? Well, no, but we're either in the middle of a drought, so the top of my head would get burnt. So, well, I could wear I a think hat. It's a I'll you problem at yeah, this point.
0: It is a, a me problem. But I don't know. They're, they're a thing.
1: Certainly
2: yeah, a thing.
0: Certainly a anything? Good fun, I suppose. If you if you like a beach buggy, then this is the same sort of caper yeah, in some ways. Yeah,
1: that's that's kind of. I can't quite decide, or can it not quite decide what it is? Is it beach buggy or utility stuff?
0: vehicle? But a proper yeah. utility vehicle. Right,
1: yeah, proper utility
0: be quite good to shoot out of i should think get someone to fire clays and you could shoot and i was about to say just just clarify exactly what it is you're wanting to shoot oh yes clays because that's definitely the way forward
5: i'm steve nash chief executive of the institute of the motor industry which is the automotive industry's professional body We're here at the British Motor Show, supporting its a fantastic event, because it's a great opportunity for us to talk to lots and lots of young people about careers in this industry. You know, the industry is short of people. We've got about 23,000 vacancies at the moment. And I mean, look, as I came in just now, people were teaming in from across the road. And that gives us great opportunity to actually
3: talk to real car enthusiasts about how they could come and join us and get a great career. And careers are what you're highlighting today, isn't it? The fact that there are so many different opportunities in so many different areas, but within the motor industry.
5: Do you know, it actually surprises people who work in the industry when we tell them that we've got 150 plus people on our website talking about the jobs they do in automotive retail alone. People who worked in automotive retail all their life have not got a clue. There's over 150 jobs in you know. So, I mean, we can really offer people a career, not just a job. And yeah, that's what it's all about today. It's about being here, being in front of the public. I mean, it's a great show. I, I think last year was great it's definitely moved up a gear this year it's you know, yeah <laughs> it's definitely noisier yeah but we, you know we we we're, we're big supporters of this it's Absolutely the right approach. I mean, whilst we call it a motor show, it's as much a car fest as it is a motor show. And that's the right balance. You know, we, we didn't need to try and repeat what was done at Birmingham many years ago. This is a different kind of thing. And look at look at the enthusiasm around us and the, and the engagement, you know. it's and, and of course, it's such an exciting time with all the change going on. And that does mean the opportunities coming up are, are new and different. And electrics, autonomous, connected, the highly connected cars, it's fantastic.
3: It all sounds terribly technological, IMI offer training
5: in these areas? Well, as the professional body, we offer training through partners. We set the standards and we offer the certification and the qualifications. So we've got over 650 regulated qualifications, whole suite of accreditations and so on. And that's just the non-manufacturing side of automotive, which is incredibly, we got 48 trade bodies. That's how diverse we are. We spend over a hundred million pound a year on training people. You know, we're very committed to that lifelong learning. The crazy thing is, you know, I mean, last year, Astonishingly, our sector gave back £3 billion worth of apprentice levy, which is barking mad, you know. I mean, because apprentices are the lifeblood of our industry, you know. So, we're here to fly the flag, you know, for training and development.
3: So, that kind of money that's going back, is it because the local dealers, probably fewer and fewer of them being independent, but local dealers are almost putting their head in the sand about going into these new technologies, having to train people well, in the areas?
5: I, I think it's more about, you know, having been in the industry, I mean, I love it, dearly. I've been in it for 40-odd 40, <laughs> 40 years, but I, I kind of know where the warts and all are, you know, and we're a very kind of now-type business, you know, got to make the day to make the week to make the month to make the quarter. Yeah, so,
3: if, if, if I don't have to spend... Exactly. Money's training someone, why do I bother?
5: Exactly. But, of course, the apprentice levy is effectively a tax. If you don't use it, it just, it, it just gets taken away. Yeah. And we proved some time ago, we, we spent a lot of money with a, with a very, very highly regarded uh, doctor of mathematics to come up with an apprentice return on investment calculator, which proved that apprentices have a payback of something like 150 to 200% within their training period, and they're productive within the first year. So, actually... They're a brilliant investment. And if the money's there already and it's being, you know, why would you not do it? If it's on the table, And, take of, it, and yeah. of course, with, with the new technologies, we know that, you know, young people are very tech savvy. So, you know, they're not scared by, in fact, they're excited by the things that are coming. The proliferation of automated systems and, you know, electric drivetrains and so on. So it's a marriage made in heaven if we get it right. And we need to because we need those people, you know. How
3: about the slightly older part of the workforce? Yeah. If you're 50 plus, say, is there still any point sort of learning these things? Is it something that, you know, you're a mechanic, you, you do mechanic-y stuff. Do you want to learn that
5: new stuff? Well, you know, that's a very interesting thing because as a, as a professional body, we're absolutely committed to lifelong learning and we believe you're never too old to learn. And actually, there are a lot of people here at this show who demonstrate that. There are people as old as me or older who are steeped in it, but...
3: 25, yeah? Yeah, yeah,
5: ish, ish. The thing is, though, I mean, there are sort of 35 million cars on the road at the moment, predominantly, I mean, very predominantly internal combustion engine cars, so if if that's the way you think, you know, you're still going to make a living out of it for another good 10, 20 years maybe, but I I think, you know, more and more, the uptake in the qualifications, we're not where we need to be. We've got a skills gap still. There's about a quarter of a million people who work on cars every day. We need about 90,000 of them to be qualified by 2030. And at the moment, we're not on the pace. And it's amazing, actually, if you look at 2032, because in 2030, we stopped selling internal combustion engine cars. The requirement in 2032 is 111,000. So the curve goes up very steeply. The engagement, though, is encouraging at the moment. So of all the qualifications available in this sector, and as I said, we've got 650 alone, and other organisations have got theirs, the most engaged with qualifications are the Level 2 and Level 3 electric vehicle qualifications. So people are buying in. And I think, look, a couple of years ago, people were still saying, you know, I don't know whether it's really going to happen, They know it is now. I mean, look around, look around just this hall here, you know, and so there's something for everybody, isn't there? I mean, I spoke to a a guy yesterday. They're in this hall, actually. They convert classic cars. Uh, They do a fantastic job as well. And he said, I love these cars. I don't want them to become something that gets wheeled out into a field once a year for people to look at and go, oh, I remember those. (laughs) He said, put an electric drivetrain in it. It becomes a car you can use every day. And he's absolutely right. At a price, of
3: course. (laughs) So anyone in the industry, come and look at your website anyone absolutely. not in the industry also come and look at your website absolutely, absolutely. which is
5: www.vimi.org.uk. yeah absolutely and we've got our careers team here today we've also got our technical teams here so plenty of people here to engage with young and old young and old yeah 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 indeed
1: we are having a look at uh, one of those brands that has shot off from a separate manufacturer much like DSR2 Citroen. We are having a look at the Cupra which is uh, Seat derived and this is the Cupra Born. Bit of an odd name.
0: Yeah, originally the L-Born, so this is the same as the ID3 fundamentally and you can definitely see the VW influence here. So it's got the same pedals my S3 had, it's got the same um, indicators and wiper stalks bits and pieces and a big touchscreen which dominates the centre. Otherwise, it's a little bit smaller in here than I thought it was going to be I, I like this, I think it's quite quite cool looking, so you've got copper accents on everything. I was
1: about to say, I'm loving the uh, the material choices and colours, the way they go, yeah. it's yeah that, that coppery, bronzy type colour on the metal bits, there's a bit of faux carbon fibre in the middle of the steering wheel so that uh, that tickles my pickle and then we've got almost neoprene-type is, fabric on the seats. I was to it's, uh, that out. yeah, it's not leather, not pleather, not vegan leather. I think they've decided to, if uh, if you're not going to go with proper leather, go with something that's completely different. Not trying to be leather. Having said that, it's kind of a, a leather effect on the uh, on the dashboard, but uh, nice suede effect on the uh, on the armrest. So There's lots of different materials, but
0: I quite like them. They work well together. There's quite a few nice little details about this. I have to say, I think the inside, the fit and finish is better than. The ID3. Um, looking at things like the door, there's a motif of diamonds around everywhere. They've actually printed that into the door card, but it doesn't feel all entirely plastic and scratchy like a lot of cars at the moment seem to. The other thing I've noticed on the rear quarters, on the C pillars, in fact, there's a gloss black trim, and that has little diamonds in them which aren't gloss, and it's just a really tactile thing. But it's quite. A nice thing to sit and hold. Well, um, I'll to of be honest. i give it a go if
1: uh, you uh, get the seat in the right position for you, being just under six foot. <laughs> and I'll see if, uh, if me being six foot, I can fit behind you.
0: Right. Okay. So I'm I'm sat in my seating position now. foot's on the brake pedal. Um, it's quite it's quite a reclined position, but I reckon, yeah, this is this is about where I'd be. How is it in the back?
1: I've got loads of room, and there's a very handy hole that I can poke uh, in uh, the, back uh, of the spine through.
0: Oh, and if yeah. I
1: grab your shirt, I can. Just strangle you, I reckon.
0: There we go.
6: Oh yeah, that's right.
0: So uh, I'm currently being strangled. That's yeah, that is just a, a pretty good uh, place to be strangled from. But I suppose there's maybe more space than you think. You're perhaps cosseted in the in the seat and cuddled round. The seats themselves um, are sort of tombstone type, if you if you know what I mean. They've got a an integrated headrest with the aforementioned hole in the back for strangling the driver. But they're actually really comfy and really soft. Big storage bin in the centre. Yeah, I think I'd be quite keen to give this a go. It's a, a, a really nicely finished thing. And some details which I think are a good step forward for Sat. Let's do a uh, let's do a sound insulation test. So I'll close the car up and you see what you think of the noise inside. So potentially we're going to stop hearing Jim very shortly. Here we go. Not
1: allowed to shut the boot.
0: We're not allowed to shut the door.
1: It's a sign that says please do not shut the boot.
0: Don't shut the boot. Oh, OK. Right, so we've been told we can't shut the boot, presumably because the battery's dead. And it means we can't open the boot again. Um, but no, I can't hear Jim, which is which is great.
6: So I'm Tim from Tier So and we're here all about the highway code and learning to drive materials.
3: Now, the highway code is something that uh, yes, we have all read at some point, really, some not so recently as others, paper copies sitting here a very good idea for most people to get hold of sometime
6: correct so it's not just available in paper copies it's available in all formats to suit people so apps um, everything like that but yeah everyone last time they picked up the whole code you might be 20 25 years ago when you passed your driving test if not more <laughs> um obviously the rules the rules have changed a lot since then so you need to make sure you always have the latest copy with you even if it's just a copy in your car copy just to have with you at any stage just to read and make sure you're driving safely None of these
3: things do any harm, do they? No, exactly. This is the important thing. Yeah, exactly. Presuming they're not hugely expensive.
6: No, four ninety nine. So it's yeah, still relatively cheap. It's um, gone up in price with the most recent edition, but four ninety nine is still a steal, I think, for the amount of value you get from it.
3: And considering the costs in everything these days, Correct. for a fiver, yeah. knowing where you stand with all these things makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Also on the shelf here, I see lots of other different yeah. books. So not just the Highway Code, but other driving material shall we say?
6: So we've got a lot of the material here is all to help people pass their theory test. we have also got some advanced driving materials in roadcraft. crafts, so that's what your blue light users would use um, so it's, no, we haven't just got the highway code here, it's all sorts of drivers, and we have got some motorcycle titles as well, if you're not just a driver, so, you know, lots of formats suit different people.
3: And I can see one at the end there saying, know your traffic know signs, your traffic signs and, yeah. and several more yeah, in the front yeah, here. Yeah. even things like traffic signs develop over the years, don't they?
6: True, they too develop, and um, that book you talk about, there is one of the source materials for the theory test, so if you are learning to drive, it is one of the key publications you need, but yeah... All their driving signs in the UK then, like you say, they continue changing. So similarly with the Highway Codes, make sure you have your latest copy and just keep up to date with the latest rules. And you say the
3: latest copy. The latest copy has just come out this year.
6: But the Highway Codes, yes. The latest copy there, comes in with the new rules around the hierarchy of road users. So protecting, looking to protect the more vulnerable road users. Um, yeah, And that was brought in sort of earlier this year. So that's the newest copy it was published earlier this year.
3: Were there other changes in it this year that you're aware of?
6: There's been a few changes sort of around tightening the rules of mobile phone use, but the main changes in the rules have been around that have made all the press and everything like that is around the hierarchy of road users. So, yes, I think
3: it's probably about time we all sat down and read these things again, really.
6: You say they're available in
3: all formats. What, what, what are all formats in this day and age?
6: So you've got you've got smartphone apps available and you've got ebooks as well via all the different, you know, we know all the stores via Amazon, etc. Apple and um, any high street retailer as well. So TSO
3: is a publisher. It's- is it just the
6: Highway Code? No, so we used to be HMSO back in the day. HMSE stayed in office, okay. privatized in the 90s. We still publish on behalf of a lot of sort of governmental clients, so DVSA, HSE for one, the MHRA, so the people who do all the sort of um, you know did all the vaccines, the pharmaceuticals, as well as we're looking to do a lot more private stuff as well. So we're looking a lot more in the sort of IT space and project management space. When I mean, we do have a lot of smaller clients, Civil Aviation Authority is another one. DFT is another one, so the Department for Transport. So there's a lot of the um, not just the or DVSA and Highway Co we do, it's quite a broad range of um, topics. And
3: I can see on a screen here, DVSA, yeah. is that a website that's useful to the rest of us?
6: So it's the website, safedrivingforlife.info, so it is very, very useful. If you're learning to drive, it has lots of good free material on there, as well as an um, opportunity to buy a lot of the publications, as well as a really good e-learning platform. Even if you're um, not learning to drive, it has lots of good of free advice on there. And also if you're any business who wants to reach learner drivers, there is advertising opportunities on the site as well.
0: Here's a, a commentary on the motor industry for you. So, we're wandering around here looking at all the new cars, and there's lots of stuff here. We just spoke about the Elbow one, we've looked at the Mini, which is a Mini Moke, that is, which is obviously a new car that isn't a new car. And there are a number of other brands here. So, there are Honda, there's Vauxhall, there's Peugeot, there's MG. You know,
1: Hyundai,
0: BMW,
1: Land Rover, MG, if we said MG side. So, lots, lots of brands,
0: but. But, not actually them, which is quite interesting. And by that what we mean is that the cars that are here are actually car dealerships which seem to have invested in coming down it's only really Ford that we've seen that have come along and only with a few cars on display and a few that are being driven and Alpine it's interesting that we're seeing the not the manufacturers represent but the the dealerships themselves which presumably is good news for the manufacturers and I guess perhaps good news for the dealerships if they've got a, a big enough area that they cover that they can capture the people that are here today but it's an interesting thought I suppose a side note about what we can see here.
1: Yeah I think it's probably a a reflection of of how national or international this show is I suppose isn't it when it was the NEC Birmingham that was that was almost a destination wasn't it we'd plan that way in advance we'd get up stupidly early in the morning we'd drive up there and we'd be there at seven o'clock and we'd spend all day there and we'd drive back again you know it was a really a real endeavour and a real day out uh, OK, we're maybe slightly biased on this because this is kind of down the road from us. It was an hour and 20 minutes until we got to the back of the uh, the queue for the car park. But is, is that kind of a reflection of you only come here if you're reasonably local? So actually, is it better off being a local dealer that uh, that's representing? Because if you are local to here and you want to buy one, at the end of the day, people still like to visit a car dealership rather than buy them on the Internet, don't they?
0: Uh, well, yes, and we know that as a fact, just through the research that's been carried out. Most people have part of their buying journey online. That's just like everything these days. People look at reviews and all the rest of it. But certainly, yeah, people much prefer coming in and, and looking at a car and touching it feeling it, smelling it and whatever else they want to do with it. Licking it, perhaps, in some cases. Just a, a little thought, really, about what we can see here today.
1: Indeed. I mean, you can always go down the, uh, the buy online route for, uh, for new cars or, well, with Cinch, who uh, are fairly heavily sponsoring this show, you can, uh, you can certainly go down the buy online route for used cars as well. But there's, uh, there's always at the back of your mind, if it's
0: not quite what you want, then you just send it back, don't you? You do. But are people here all local? I'm not sure what they are. The place is absolutely packed, which is, which is great. is great. ask it's... everyone. We just, everyone we walk past, where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? Might, might, we might get thrown out, though. And to be fair, that might be uh, might be a less interesting podcast potentially. I mean, you'd no, get... it
1: wouldn't be very interesting to listen to, would it?
0: There you go. That could be the uh, the, the extended cut. Should you be interested?
7: My name's David Richardson, I'm the Business Development Director at Corriton, and I'm here discussing biofuels. We are also supporting the British Motor Show with the of Sustainable Fuels. And they're currently being used in the Caterham Drift taxis, the Young Drivers are also using that, we've got Paul Swift in the stunt cars also using the sustained fuels, and we've got one or two classics that have also taken some of that on board as well. Just
3: petrol you're replacing, or is it avgas, is it diesel, petrol bit of everything what's the situation there?
7: Okay so I mean as a company we, we have quite a broad remit of, of of clients that we work with we work within the automotive industry marine aviation as well uh, and that covers all of the different fuels within that as well so we are doing the petrols we're doing the diesels as well we're working on sustainable aviation fuels with, with, with companies uh, marine's a little bit of a difficult one they're some way behind and I think they will probably go down the the methanol, hydrogen route, maybe, I think, uh, in the in the long run. But we've got a very
3: broad range of products that we're working with and, and industries. So you're providing these things. Is it commonly available? Can I put it in my car? Uh, it's not commonly
7: available to the mass market, Al- although it's still a fledgling technology. Um, you know There's still a lot of it in circulation in certain applications. I mean, there's one facility that's producing some of the region about 20 million litres. That sounds like a huge amount of fuel but actually, if you look at the grand scheme of things of how much fuel we use as a species, it's a drop in the ocean. It
3: doesn't go quite as far as perhaps we'd like to think it would. <laughs> no,
7: it, it, it doesn't. But we've got to start somewhere. And there's a lot of these companies uh, that are starting, that have got development plants in, in plan at the moment. But they're looking for the investment to help sort of scale them up so that they can get out there to the market.
3: So, Coryton, what is it that you do? Where does that come from?
7: Right, so Coriton, we're actually a relatively young company, albeit uh, the people that work for the company have been in the petroleum industry, the fuels industry, the automotive industry for decades and decades. Coriton was actually a facility that was born out of an old BP specialist blending facility. And what we do is we work with every i'd say almost every single automotive and fuel systems company globally and we help them to develop their powertrains, and their fueling systems uh, looking at the robustness of them the endurance aspects looking at the different markets they have to operate in and um, that's always been predominantly a fossil-based market for us and, and, and clearly we're trying to move away from that so we've spent the last five or six years actually looking at sustainable fuels talking to the automotive companies talking to the motorsport industry saying look there are better ways that we can help achieve our uh, environmental goals by replacing our fossil fuel with a sustainable fuel. So that's using that carbon that's already sitting in the atmosphere that we've pulled out of the ground, because we want to stop taking that embedded carbon sitting in fossil now, leave it where it's tucked away, nice and safe, and we'll just use what's sitting in that atmosphere.
3: There's obviously top secret things amongst this, but how does that work? If you're not digging it up or processing it from something else, where is that coming from?
7: Ultimately, it's all coming from CO2 that's in the environment. There's two ways that we get to that. There's our biogenic mean, our natural way of capturing CO2, which, as you might, is plants. It, you know, you grow the plants, it absorbs CO2, and you produce crops. Now, clearly, we what we don't want to do is have a, a fight for food for, uh, for fuel fight there. Um, so we, we look to use what we call sort of second-generation feedstocks, and these are always waste feedstocks. So these are things that are left over from the farming processes, and, and, and actually many other processes that leave residues over that there's no other use for. So you can convert those into a into a liquid using some very clever technologies. The other way that we can do it is we can mechanically extract CO2 from the atmosphere and the easiest way to describe that is you've got whacking great big vacuums that just pull it out, uses an electrolysis process to to split the atoms up and it recombines it and you get a lovely liquid out the end of it. And
3: that's the easy way of explaining it right okay. <laughs> so waste product presumably that's not an endless supply either what is this stuff is it stuff that can come from elsewhere is it i mean i'm half thinking in my head can it be misused in a few years time that we've run out of the waste product and then we suddenly start growing it specifically again and things like that?
7: Uh, so, so uh, I mean, clearly there's there's always a, de- a debate on how much supply there is of raw materials for, for these kind of things. There have been studies done by, by people like the Imperial College of London that have sort of suggested there is generally a, a enough waste that's produced globally to support the sustainable Fuels route for sort of light duty sort of vehicles and as sort of like medium duty vehicles.
3: So, so not not every single car can run on it. Uh,
7: no, I mean and, and we as it is now. I, I, I and mean, as it is now, what we'd say no, no simply it's not going it's not going to happen. Uh, aviation clearly has got a big problem there because they use vast quantities yeah. of fuel, and, and and that's why they're looking at this mechanical route to produce these sort of synthetic e-fuels. So what we're aiming to do is actually sort of target specific. Specific applications within the industry it'd be nice to roll these out to the mass market but actually I think there are you know, much like the events that we're at today where motoring and engineering within that is still very very important to people and, and is going to be there for decades but actually we want to do this in a clean way the organizers here were very keen to make sure that this event was to be a, a co2 neutral event so why not use this event as an idea to say well, you can do this with all those motoring events we're looking at forestry applications as well. How about those people that got boats on, you know, in marinas? Let's, let's do those because they're a captive audience. They use relatively small amounts of fuel. What about the classic car industry as well? Again, a relatively small industry. We don't want to get rid of those wonderful old vehicles that have got some fantastic engineering that dates back decades and decades. But they still want to use them, but they want to clean up. They want to say, we're doing this in an environmentally conscious way. And actually, these fuels are absolutely primed for those because they use a very small amount compared to the general public.
3: So, yeah, so basically it's keeping the older cars running using a, a, a more sustainable biofuel rather than saying, well, let's forget about electric cars, they're rubbish stick with the combustion engine
2: uh, yeah
7: I, I mean look we're, we're, we're <laughs> not that perhaps be. yeah <laughs> no, of course I mean we're, we're not here to say it should be internal combustion all the way we, we fully support that the electrification has to come through I mean, eventually we'll get there what we're saying to, to people now is that It's got a long way to go. The infrastructure simply isn't there. We do speak to people like the National Grid and the people that can create the batteries. We do work with battery companies to look at how we can help them with some of the elements that go into batteries. There's fossil elements in batteries at the moment. And we say, well, look, there are technologies that we've got that can actually be sustainable elements in those as well, but they're they're decades away. Do we want to wait until all of that is in place to do something about the environment? Our argument is we should be doing something now. There are vehicles on the road now that can benefit from these sustainable fuels. That's what we want to do. And let's also remember, electric vehicles are expensive. I know there is an argument to suggest that they will get cheaper and cheaper. There's a counter argument there. Electric vehicles are subsidised. They're subsidised by the automotive manufacturers themselves, by the internal combustion engine vehicles. They're also subsidised by local governments. You remove those subsidies, they're not going to get any cheaper at all.
3: Particularly once the government uh, stop taxing us on and them, not just not subsidising, but taxing them as well.
7: Absolutely. I mean, they are going to lose huge amounts of revenue from uh, fuel excise duty. Um, so, therefore, there, there is going to be a point where electric vehicles are going to be the same price as an internal combustion engine vehicle on a daily use. And, that's, and that, that is worrying people that have got electric vehicles at the moment. Now, the other thing we want to think about is that because electric vehicles are expensive, there's a lot of people that can't afford them. We're gonna get 10 years down the line, people are gonna be stockpiling internal combustion engine vehicles. The average fleet age within Europe at the moment is somewhere around 12 years. I'm gonna easily predict that's gonna grow to 20 years plus. And they're still gonna be on the roads. So you've gotta do something about this. You've gotta tackle those vehicles as well. it's
3: greener to keep them going Van scrapping. It, it is.
7: Why, why get rid of a perfectly good vehicle that's already had all that carbon embedded in it just to say, well, I've got this wonderful electric vehicle that is actually going to take you another 50,000 miles of use to get on parity with an internal combustion engine. You shouldn't be doing that. Again, for me personally, plug-in hybrid is the way to go. You don't need big batteries. You don't need the big motors. Put them both together. They complement each other very, very well. And actually... For every BEV that you've got on the road, you could potentially have somewhere up to around twelve plug-in hybrids.
3: So, Coryton now dealing with larger uh, corporate clients, let's say, pre- presumably, is that the way that's gonna stay? Or is there a hope that the classic car owners can come to you directly in a year's time say and say, fill up my tank for me?
7: Yeah, well, uh, well actually, um, we are talking to a number of the uh, groups, the organisations that look after classic vehicles at the moment, and it is very much of our, our, our hope that we will have fuels that can supply into those, those classic clubs. Maybe there's bespoke sort of uh, retailers that we can work with. Uh, but, yeah, we're developing now. We've been testing them. We've done work with people like S&G Barrett with uh, the Jags that they put together. We've been working with CKL Motorsports down in Kent. And they've got a low drag E-type car that we've been testing fuels on there as well. They've all performed absolutely wonderfully. Uh, And absolutely, the idea is that we've got fuels that people can just go out and say, can we have some of that? I want to use that. Yes, here it is.
3: And presumably an event like this, where you are trying it in new caterums, older cars, various other bits you're getting data from that.
7: Uh, yeah, we, we get feedback all the time, absolutely. Uh, the Caterhams is a perfect example of this one. I mean, the Caterhams did some testing for us, and they also had a journalist that come down, took one of the cars out, came back in, made that's great, and the Caterham guy said, did you know there was sustainable fuel in that? And he had no idea. And that's what we're aiming to do. We, do, we don't want a fuel to say that that changes its performance uh, in a detrimental way. We want it to be imperceptible. <laughs>
0: Right, I am back at Cajun Musty. I'm back at Cajun. Jim and I are back at Cajun. I'm stood at the side here because Jim is just about to jump into uh, 7 shortly and go drifting, he's got a massive grin on his face and he's going to be videoing this so you be going to watch this on our socials later. So he's got a camera uh, inside the car, I've got a camera outside of the car and hopefully you'll be able to see what's going on but expect a lot of noise and a lot of tire smoke.
1: That was hilarious fun, I mean as, as a way of a brand engaging people and getting people on board and learning what the cars are about and hey, just come along, have a good time, have some fun there's there's something for everyone in there, there's the drift taxi which uh, which I've just been out in, managed to get some well, in my humble opinion, some fairly spectacular video, we'll see how well it goes together in the edit, I think most of the skill might be in the editing, but it was uh, a hilarious taxi ride, lots of uh, figure eights and donuts around the barrels um, but then wandering back through They've got a simulator, so you can have a go round uh, Brands Hatch, one of our favourite local circuits. Uh, so that was uh, that was good fun. I got round in under a minute, so I didn't disgrace myself, did I? i was sort of what top top ten for the times for the weekend. So I'll uh, I'll take that, and the uh, just narrowly picked by a lad who uh, I think he's Spanners for a Caterum race team, doesn't he? So uh, yeah, to be within a couple of tenths of him, I was fairly chuffed with that.
0: Yeah, I mean what was most impressive is the kid that was at the top. Uh, I think you managed to 58.8. I think the top was 57.8. So there's not a lot in it. But the guy that was at the top was a a kid not old enough to drive. Doesn't race with him. Presumably does a lot of sim racing um, because he just obviously got in there, shoulders back, and smashed it.
1: That's it. I mean, I'll, uh, I'll get my racing driver excuses in. I, it was just
0: paddock hill, wasn't it? Just yeah. a bit
1: too, uh, bit too early on the throttle, so a bit wide on the way out, lost a bit of time there. But other
0: than that, I think I was fairly there with it. To be honest, I wasn't too far off. The cars definitely was set up for some safe understeer as well. So it did react. I think probably the way you'd expect with a little bit of, a little bit of throttling, back end out. But but hey, it, it looks like it was great fun anyway.
1: Yeah, definitely. And as I say, it's just uh, there's something for all uh, all ages, you know, you don't have to be very old to go in the drift taxi and you can get thrown around. There's some young kiddies going in there and there's grown ups going in there. And but the, the one thing in common is everybody comes out with a smile on their face and uh, and I think loving the brand a little bit more for it. So well done, Caterham. Hats off to you.
8: Hi, I'm Andy I'm the chief exec of the British Motor Show. So it is on your shoulders. Everything we've been enjoying for a, at least two days now. It is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, two days of enjoyment. It's been 12 months of planning. Yeah. When we spoke at the
3: launch event back in October, November time, everything was on paper. It was all in the head. It was all aspirational. How's it all gone?
8: Now the show's here, it's going really well. It's been a real challenge to get it here. The events industry's you know, not had an easy year, so it's been a real slog. But I'm really pleased. It's all come together really, really well. we got a lot of happy faces. Everything that we planned is is happening. Really, really, really pleased.
3: I mean, in the last two days, we've had two world records outside.
8: Yeah, two world records and two more to come, hopefully. So, uh, Paul broke the world record for uh, it was in an electric car yesterday, parallel parking, and we've had a very specific world record, which <laughs> is the most number of donuts around a wheeling motorbike. But that was kind of also partly because it was a great spectacle. So, yeah, and it was actually harder than it looked.
3: Yes. Well, they but certainly it, hard. Well, it, certainly it looked hard certainly. and it
8: was harder than it looked as well. Yeah, yeah.
3: But yes, and it's one of those things that works or it doesn't and presumably you only get so many goes at having a go at it.
8: When you're working with the Guinness World Records, I mean, they're great people but it's very specific so you, you can't practice as much because when they get here they'll make it very clear what you can and can't do. So that was really the first time that those guys got to practice it or got to attempt it properly. And they did a great job. So, yeah, so really pleased. World records, happy faces, loud cars, electric cars. It really pleased the way it's going so far. And everything's so much bigger than last year. It, it's all still on the same site, but
3: there's just far too much to see.
8: <laughs> yeah, we, the, the concept's always been we want you to turn up and leave thinking, I didn't quite do everything. Uh, and I think that we've managed to do that again. It's, we've got a new hall, we've got a second arena. So we're about 30% bigger. And that's our intention. Every year we'll do different things and we'll grow. We're not one of these companies that will sit there and go, it went well, let's just repeat it in 12 months. I want people who came last year to say it was different, and that's what we're hearing. God, it was bigger, it was different, it was fantastic. And next year, I want the same again. You say the same again? Any thoughts on next year already, or is it too soon to tell? <laughs> well, you know, the idea is we'll start planning when this one's over. But of course, that's not the truth. I'm already wandering around thinking that worked really well. We refined that, and to be honest with you, from day one to day two, we refined things anyway. So. I've already seen things here that have gone really, really well. Hall 5 is an example. Hall 5 is phenomenal this year. It just works really well. So we'll take that, we'll make that even better next year, and then we're going to extend the range of cars again, even further indoors. And Hall 5 is the modified area, yes? I've just been down on speaking to them and speaking to the Bewley
3: people. So again, it's cars that are over 100 years old, right the way up to being able to drive brand new ones outside.
8: Yeah, so we talk about motorsport, because there's a lot of motorsport down there, and we've got a world-record-breaking car committed from 100 years ago, and that's all about... So this was, at the time, a modified motorsport car, and, of course, then you've got another car next to it that's the modern variant of that. So it's a really great horse. I'm really encouraging people, when they come down here, head down there and check out what they're doing. It's fantastic.
4: That's all for this episode, but join us for part two from the British Motor Show 2022 in a couple of days' time. UK Motor Talk, a First Take Media production.